This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, and I'm going to start off by thanking all of you who have chipped in and contributed to our continued success, or at least operations, here at Radio Parallax. We also want to thank astute listeners such as Nancy, who pointed out a missing segment on one of our shows, which Mr. McMillan promptly corrected. We're going to continue to try and bring you some all-original shows, and today is yet another one in that series. I think we're going to, for the sake of getting through all the material that's piled up, uh, omit our This Day in History today, except to note that our date is the 11th of August, and on every August 11th, the planet Earth plows into some debris from the comet Swift-Tuttle, and this produces an annual meteor shower, because when you trace the path of the meteors back in the night sky, they seem to originate in the constellation Perseus. Therefore, this is known as the Perseid meteor shower. And according to the people who study such things, the one that's going to be most visible tonight, this August 11th, is going to be a good one. They expect to have twice the usual number of meteors, meaning you'll see about 200 an hour versus the normal 80 to 100 an hour. Now, 200 an hour meteors starts to get interesting. That average is about one every 20 seconds. So I think that yours truly is going to try and find some dark skies tonight for some viewing. And we recommend that you consider doing likewise. In other words, get out of the city, go out in the country somewhere, get away from the light pollution, and see what you can see. And speaking of light pollution, we note with some uh, degree of sadness that with this arena, this new arena, Coming to Sacramento, a classic example of the political interests toadying for uh, business-slash-sports interests. Well, we're not going to go into that whole story again, except to note that um, the city of Sacramento is going to make an effort to illuminate the downtown's dark corners, being that downtown Sacramento is not always the most inviting place. And so they're going to solve it with more light pollution. In fact, it was announced last week that the city is going to install 104 pedestrian-level street lamps on dimly lit blocks leading to the arena as several parts, as well as several parts of Midtown. This will be a $1.7 million lighting program. Why are we calling this light pollution? Well, apparently city crews are expected to begin installing the old, what's called old-fashioned acorn-style lights on L Street. And, of course, um, if my suspicions are correct, these are going to be the same style of street lamp they have in my neighborhood in East Sacramento, which are major light polluters. They don't direct light down, they direct direct light in all directions, meaning they light up your cockpit if you're in an airplane flying over Sacramento, and of course they will light up the bottoms of clouds and dust, adding to your light pollution, making it hard to see the Milky Way, the stars, and the Perseid meteor shower. This is something we've harped on in this program in the past, but alas, no one, no one seems to be getting it. Now, if dear listener, you have any position to influence the decisions being made by the city and what type of street lighting they put up, well, be sure to mouth off. 
And we're going to hit on quite a few other familiar topics on, on, in segment one here today, and as well as segment two. And since some of these topics are going to be a little down, let's, let's, let's go to the joke right now, shall we? For our joke of the day, we're going to go to the writers of Jimmy Fallon, who noted some days back that the Danish government donated a giant Lego model of Rio de Janeiro. Said Fallon, this is very interesting. The Lego buildings are slightly safer than the actual buildings at the Olympics. Yes, there seems to be quite a black eye heading the way of Brazil. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this, how this shakes out. There's been a lot of publicity about how polluted the waters are down there and how the infrastructure is terrible. They did not build the buildings. Uh, the buildings they built to house the athletes and others were so poorly constructed with contractors basically you know, making off with the money and not building the stuff that many teams have had to check into hotels. Now, Brazil is always trying to tout itself as one of these about-to-become-a-first-world country. I don't think that this recent effort is going to do anything to convince people that such is the case. Let's also cut immediately to our quote for today's program, which is a good one. It comes from the legendary activist Emma Goldman, who once said, if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal. And uh, in spite of all the great panic going on here and there about Donald Trump, I would, I would stick with Emma Goldman on this one. I mean, yes, he's acting like a lunatic, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but the chances of him getting elected, A, are not very high, and the chances he's going to be able to make all these supposed changes uh, are, you know, are pretty remote, which is part B. So I don't think we have to be too worried about, you know, the country going to hell under Donald Trump. The country is kind of going to hell, I think, anyway, not to sound as pessimistic as they did at the Republican convention because things aren't quite that bad, or at least they're not, they're not that bad in the way they are portraying things as being bad, you know, like, you know, Mexicans are taking all your jobs. And speaking of that, on next week's program, we plan to bring on a Mexican I dare say he is Radio Parallax's favorite Mexican, and he is adopting a new posture as <laughs> Mexican rapists for Trump, and he's going to talk a little bit about that hopefully on next week's program. And no, in case you're worried, he's, he's not really a rapist, no matter what the Donald has to say. Well, let's talk a little bit about Donald's chances. Um, in the wake of his most recent... Um, evidence that he is little more than a bombastic grifter. He said, as you know, probably, dear listener, a few days ago, that there wasn't much anybody could do about Hillary Clinton when she got elected and she got down to appointing all those Supreme Court justices, except, you know, maybe some of these Second Amendment guys might be able to do something about that. Now, of course, a lot of people say the thing they like about Trump is he says exactly what he means. And of course, in the wake of that, Trump's supporters are saying, well, he didn't mean that they should go out and shoot Hillary Clinton even though we have former CIA directors saying things like, you know, if, if, somebody, if somebody else besides him said that, he'd be getting a visit from the Secret Service. And somewhat shockingly, the Secret Service apparently put out a tweet. Now, who, who knew the Secret Service tweeted? But they put out a tweet saying they were aware of Mr. Trump's statements. Yes, I have to say, it's all pretty... On the other hand, well, actually, no, before I do the on the other hand, let's talk about uh, Trump's chances. In the wake of saying this sort of thing and a lot of this other uh, 
just a stream of consciousness saying things that are outrageous that you know seem to resonate with a certain segment of the public. It's served him pretty well so far throughout the whole uh, campaign to get the nomination. It's probably not going to serve him so well in the general election, which has now commenced. I mean, the race up to the November election is on, and um, things usually change. You have to appeal to your base as you're trying to get the nomination, and you have to thus appeal to the more liberal party if you're a Democrat and the more conservative party if you're a Republican. Trump just seems to <laughs> say whatever he feels like at the moment, and, and it served him very well. The media seems to lap it all up, give him lots of attention. He ran a campaign that was... He ran a shoestring campaign on his own money and not a lot of it to get the nomination. So he is the master of getting free publicity, no doubt. When you imply things like Hillary Clinton, you know, could just be shot by Second Amendment advocates and that would take care of things, a lot of the public steps back and goes, hmm, that's just not a very smart thing for anybody to say. And as a consequence, if you take the time to go see what Nate Silver has to say or go to the 270towin.com website, you will find that, surprisingly, it appears that all of the states, which were, had been considered toss-up states right now, seem to be leaning blue. They seem to be leaning to the Democrats. In fact, Nate Silver has all 10 of the swing states currently looking blue, and in addition... Arizona, and Georgia. Now, they're more conservative over at 270towin.com using different polls or what have you, but they've now, they've now put Pennsylvania in uh, the, the, the Clinton camp, and they put New Hampshire in the Clinton camp. They've also put Colorado in the Clinton camp. And as far as they're concerned, Arizona and Georgia are now toss-ups. So in the last couple of weeks, um, Trump has gone from seemingly 191 surefire red state electoral college votes to down to 164. He's going in the wrong direction. Of course, what amazes this correspondent is to look back at the elections of my lifetime wherein people who were eminently more qualified to be president than Donald Trump, such as war hero and a guy who was right about Vietnam, anti-Vietnam Senator George McGovern, also very capable Minnesota Senator and Vice President Walter Mondale, both these guys ran for president and carried the District of Columbia and one state. They lost in a landslide to Nixon and Reagan. And yet, <laughs> seemingly, Donald Trump, where the election held the day, would carry something like, I don't know, 16, 17 states, maybe 20. I didn't count them up, but it's a lot. Trump, by the nature of how this country has been fractured, can pretty much count on carrying the, a lot of the old Confederacy and states that were territories during the time of the Civil War, whereas the, what was the Union uh, of Abraham Lincoln now seems to be pretty solidly blue. How things have changed. So, according to Nate Silver, the odds that Trump's going to win the election is down to 12%, which, which ain't too good, but a lot can happen in the months to come. That's, that's for sure. But yes, the point of all this is it's not looking too good for the Donald. And if you're worried about him becoming president, you can relax a tad. He just can't seem to help himself. And he just keeps bloviating away with this nonsense that's, that's not helping him. On the other hand, in the opinion of this correspondent, when Donald Trump talks about how rigged the elections are in this country and the election laws and how they can fix things, well, he's not wrong. 
as we found out from these recent releases, the Democrats themselves leaned very heavily, uh, at least the power elite in the Democratic Party, was determined to make Hillary Clinton the nominee. And there's a recent study from Stanford and elsewhere that shows that in states that had verifiable paper trails, Bernie Sanders won. In states that did not have verifiable paper trails, Hillary Clinton carried the day, which does make you scratch your head and wonder. We reported on this program extensively in past years, especially in conjunction with the 2004 election, about the theft of statewide and national elections. We talked to people who explained statistically why it was that, well, the odds that John Kerry lost the presidency when the exit polls showed him winning across the board by 3%. But when the votes were counted, he lost by 2.5%. That 5.5 percentage point swing, well, it's somewhat of a statistical anomaly. The odds that that would happen by chance are 980,000 to 1. So that's not what happened. The other possibilities are as talked about on Radio Parallels extensively in the past, the other possibilities are that the exit polling was correct, but the actual vote count was rigged, changed, altered, modified. The idea that this is what took place, even though the odds are a million to one that you know something like that probably happened, was not readily embraced by the mainstream media. In fact, listening to NPR a few days ago, and they were talking about this issue of Trump's claims of the elections being rigged, they said, oh, yeah, there have been elections in the past that were questionable, like they mentioned the 2000 election, where, uh, of course, Jeb Bush and Katherine Harris stole the state of Florida for Jeb's brother, W. But they said, no, no, we're not saying that election was rigged. We're just saying that, boy, they're, they're very close sometimes, which caused me at that point to change channels on the radio. But since everybody was watching four years later in 2004, and by all accounts it appears they stole it again using, you know, electronic voting machines that did not have a paper trail, it was even a worse, it was an even worse performance by the national media to just walk away from the story. Now about that same time, back in 2004, they held an election in Ukraine. At that time, the exit polling all showed that, you know, one party, the, the challenging party, had, had won handily. But when the votes were counted, the, elections, the election went the other way. There was actually a 10-point swing from the exit polls to the vote count. And the entire world looked at it and said, that is a fraudulent election. So apparently, the rule of thumb here is if you're going to steal an election is, if you're going to steal it, don't steal more than 5.5 percentage points. You get, you get past that up to like 10, and the whole world looks and says, oh, that's a fake election. But you can do up to five and a half, apparently, without penalty. Of course, back in 2004, the third possibility was that the vote count was, was correct. It was absolutely correct. No problems with that. But the exit polling was flawed, that people apparently didn't want to say they voted for Bush. They were shy about it. As we discussed in this program with some experts, um, that didn't seem likely since the biggest voter swings, the biggest voter anomalies were in districts that were heavily pro-Bush. So what's the punchline out of all of this? Yes, elections are rigged. Primary elections are rigged, and they were rigged apparently this year. And national elections are rigged. They've been rigged, in our opinion, at least two out of the last four. 
Now, Donald Trump thinks they're going to rig it this time against him, which would be kind of refreshing since the Republicans managed to rig it in 2004 and 2000. But hell, it seems to us that uh, Wall Street's pretty comfortable with Hillary Clinton, and, um, you know, they, who knows? But uh, it's, I guess it's refreshing also to note that it isn't just Republicans that rig elections. <sighs> anyway, let's talk about something else. I noticed a few days ago a posting, I guess it was a couple weeks ago actually, a posting on Facebook by a former general manager at KDVS, a station where we spent so many happy years. I, didn't, I wasn't sure what it was about. It was this thing called Pokemon Go, and no, I didn't know what it was all about. My office manager explained to me that, yes, people go capture monsters out in locations, and then they use the monsters to fight one another. Of course, I thought this, this may be one of the signs that, you know, that, that Armageddon is upon us, that the end may be nigh. But Mr. Millen tried to ground me on this and point out that, you know, there have been idiot fads, you know, throughout history. And, uh, you know, this is maybe just a modern version of the hula hoop. And I wish it was. I wish it was only as. I wish it was only as bad as the hula hoop. But but anyway, um, yes. People are running around in parks. They're apparently going to Auschwitz and playing Pokemon Go, which which kind of got some feathers ruffled. But no, no. I, I don't know. This just it just worries me. I mean, okay. News item: A 62-year-old man from upstate New York had to be rescued by police after he became stuck in waist-deep mud while playing Pokemon Go at night in the woods. This comes from the Week magazine. Police said the man was chasing cartoon monsters on his cell phone when he slipped into the mud pit. Unable to escape, he called 911. After officers pulled the man free, they asked if he'd caught the Pokemon characters he'd been hunting. He said he really didn't want to talk about it, according to police. And yeah, in the wake of this idiocy, apparently with millions of smartphone-toting gamers uh, running all over and in, in, you know, getting caught in mud pits, the Japanese... Video game maker Nintendo has seen its stock soaring. In fact, this fad has pushed the market value of Nintendo from $20 billion to nearly $31 billion. Yes, isn't tech wonderful? In other tech-related news, according to the Wall Street Journal, there's the spike in Bay Area housing prices driven by the tech industry's growth is showing no signs of letting up. In 2012, 19.6% of homes in San Francisco and the neighboring county were worth $1 million or more. Today, 57.4%. And uh, we're going to talk in future installments of this program about what Silicon Valley and the tech companies are doing to the Bay Area. If you've ever tried to drive down there in the last year or two, you would know that something's not working too well. We seem to be running out of space on the highway, and soon we'll be running out of water, I think, too. But the building boom just keeps on going. Actually, the building boom is not going to the extent that a lot of people would like to see. Uh, And for this reason, you know, with a restricted supply, with an increased demand, prices go through the ceiling. But the alternative is to build like crazy in the Bay Area, and that's not a good idea. P.G. O'Rourke wrote an essay some years back. Uh, and talked about how the city of Fremont in the East Bay had the same exact population density as the country of Bangladesh. O'Rourke then went to Bangladesh and went to Fremont and wrote about it. A lot of what he had to say, I think, was nonsense, but today's not the day to talk about that. But this might be a good time to take a break because I'm just getting all wound up. 
But let's continue to be wound up in the second and third segments after a short break. You are listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.